Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Well, Vivid, how's it going, man? It's good to be with you guys. All the way in the West Coast, hashtag best coast, is that what they say? I got to be honest, West Coast is pretty great. And uh, Jules and I used to live in Sydney, Australia, and it reminds me so much of Sydney. It uh, has like so many parallels and, and, and you know, things that just remind us of our time there. So it's so good to be with you guys. We love your house. We love your pastors. If you guys didn't know it, we're like extended fam all the way out on the East Coast. They say East is beast out there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> hey now, hey now. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's so good to be with you guys. I want you guys to know that you've inspired us for years now. And I love your pastors, jo- uh, Justin and Jen. Um, there's one thing I know when Justin comes out and hangs out with us. We're always up for a late night because he's on a three-hour time difference. So we'll be playing, like, what, floor hockey till 3 a.m., right? And uh, we'll be hitting up all the fun stuff. But I, I love these guys because they've re- become really good friends of ours. They've turned up in, in those seasons where you need good support and where you need friends to turn up for you and speak life in you. And I'm also great friends with their associates, Jenna, and um, this crazy, good-looking, handsome dude right here. But, Cobes, and, and honestly, we love you guys. I just love your house. I love so many of the, the people who call this place home. So it is so good to be back with you. And I want to just say off the bat, Jack, the spirit fingers, you're ripping it up. Um, I feel very spiritual right now. It feels like the Lord could do anything, uh, to be honest. Um, Exactly. Yeah, you do you, man. Whatever you want. I don't care. You do you. But uh, hey, listen, um, what I want to do is just let's pray and uh, we'll get into the word of God. We only have a short time together. And so I want to make sure that you get the most of what God wants to give you here this morning. And so I would love it if you'd, you know, bow your heads with me and and kind of ask the Lord just to come. And we already acknowledge that he's here very much so. I mean, if the worship wasn't already evident, God is here and he is meeting with people. But I'm just going to ask him to speak to you personally. I'm going to ask him that he give you a word even for your friends and your family to bring along to them and that there be something about today and, the, and all that takes place today that would mark you. So, Father, we thank you so much for all that you're doing in and through this community. Father, I pray that over the next coming days, weeks, months, that, God, there would be increase after increase, that you would add to their number daily those that are being saved. There'd be evangelical kind of heart, this, this heart that wants to reach out to people and tell them about the good news of the gospel. And we thank you that that's exactly what the gospel is. It is great news for everybody. And so, Lord, I pray that today, the sound of my voice, whether it's online or if it's here in the room, God, I pray that you would do something exceedingly abundantly above anything that anyone came in here expecting or even believing for themselves. I pray that you would speak to them so profoundly and powerfully here today that, God, no one would be left the same way in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said with a mighty amen. 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 And amen. All right. Amen. Thanks, Jack. You're the man, dude, up top. I always have a great relationship with my, our keys players. And uh, I thought about running up here and going, hi, Jack. And then I was like, oh, no, kidding, get it. Hi, Jack. Hi. That's the thing they tell you never to say hi to a guy named Jack on a plane. You've never heard of that? Uh, am I the only one? It must be tough for you, Jack. Everyone's probably so cold on the planes towards you. Anyways, Anyways today I came to hear you with a message. And, um, you know, it's funny that we, we just dedicated a little baby whose name means Defender of Peace because that's exactly what I came here to do today. And uh, I came here to defend your peace, to stick up for the underdog, those people that find themselves under attack. You know, the truth is that life can be challenging. If the last three years have been any indication to anybody, 
I think that we've, none of us have come out of this last season unscathed. It's affected us all in some way, and I don't, I'm not here to glorify and elevate our problems, but what I am here to do is talk straight with you enough that I actually relate to you to realize that, you know, the truth is we've gone through some stuff the last few years, and uh, no doubt through the church, there's all kinds of different winds of doctrine blowing through the church, and my prayer for us is that we stay secure, we stay standing on the word of truth, that we believe that the word of God is inspired, amen, that Jesus came to atone for our sins, that he forgave us, and he's an incredibly gracious God. There are certain tenets of the Bible that we must always remember. And my prayer for us is that as a church, we'd stand true on the things that are true. And the Word of God, man, that is a good place to start. And, uh, you know, I think, though, there are a lot of people, whether you recognize it or not, that have been kind of blown around a lot in the last few years. A lot of people have subscribed to a very angry God type thing. I don't know if you've noticed it, but cancel culture has swept through. Um, Everybody seems to be getting canceled today, and I don't know about you, but there's something about cancel culture in the kingdom that I feel like the kingdom has no place for it. We don't live in a cancel culture. We live in a council culture, and the council of God will come, and where there's many councils, there is safety, the Bible says, and I believe that the, the Bible is very clear that Jesus died for us while we were still yet sinners, the Bible declares, that he justifies, Romans 4, the ungodly, not godly people, he, and by the way, the word justified simply means to declare right with himself. God declares right, justifies, declares right with himself those who are ungodly. So if you find yourself with some, some sins that you're trying to hide, or maybe you came in here with your best foot forward, I want you to know that this ought to be the environment. My prayer is that as we build out the church across Canada, that we recognize that it's not for perfect people. It's, it's, it's for perfectly imperfect people. It's for people who understand that our job is not to be perfect, but to point ourselves to the one who is. And I recognize that Jesus says, be perfect as I am perfect. Be holy as I am holy. But this is an idea. I say to my kids all the time, be a Davidson. Live up to the name. Make sure you're striving toward the, the things that, are, that we, we set up for you as children. And we showed you how to live. The reality is none of us are going to live this life perfectly. And praise God, that's how I suppose we all need a Savior. Because if we did it perfectly, what's, what's our need for Jesus anyways? So my point in, 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 off, the, on, off the top is I want to relate to somebody here today to realize that you don't need to come in here and have it all together. You have the, the permission to struggle here today. And that's not, again, to glorify you staying in the struggle. I want you to know that we're going to help empower you out of that place and by, the, by the power of God. We're going to help you walk through those issues or circumstances or scenario you find yourself in. But I want you to know this. It's not us judging you or, or looking down upon you. It's not the, the church coming alongside and, and hitting you over the wrist. But it's us coming and empowering you by saying God is with you. He is for you. You can do this. If he brought you to it, he can bring you through it if you want a cheesy cliche. You know? But the reality is that God, no, he, his empowerment through the Holy Spirit is here with you. Through the community of God, we want to empower you to live that life. That's why I came on an assignment today. I believe that God has graciously made a way for me through the invitation extended to me through your, your senior pastors here today to bring a message to somebody here today who has been wrestling with restlessness, who's been wrestling with anxiety or carrying a level of shame in their life because of something that happened in your life. Maybe it was an incident or an accident. Maybe someone did something. Maybe you made a mistake and you can't live past that, those decisions and your own choices. I came here to help you with that. And I, and I believe that I've come here to really defend and restore somebody's peace. And so if you've made a mistake, maybe you've made a mistake, you tripped up, screwed up one too many times, maybe you freeze-framed your failures and you made a catalog out of all your screw-ups and trip-ups, 
And you got a little catalog that you can go back and, and just kind of every, maybe there's certain things that even trigger those things in your life, in your, in your life, sorry, that basically cause you to just oh, freeze in a moment and realize, oh, I'm back to that place. I'll never live beyond it. Well, today I have a great word for you that I believe is going to defend why you can live in your peace and not throw it away in a sense of panic or chaos here today, but know that God is for you. He was with you and he calls you son. He calls you daughter and whom he is well pleased. If there's one thing I see the father say twice over the son, it was, hey, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It's a good father's day message. Okay. Hear him. You know, this is whom I love. You see, God emphasizes some things, and he only spoke twice audibly in the Bible, by the way. And if he spoke twice, let's just look at what he said to the son. And both times, it was the exact same son. This is my son, or my daughter, in this case, and whom I love, and whom I am well pleased. Hear her, hear him. I want you to know something here today. That's the words that God the Father speaks over to you through Jesus here today. And so if I could uh, just illuminate your understanding a little bit, I want to turn with you to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to read a passage of the scripture. It's not your blockbuster kind of preaching passage. It's not exactly. It's kind of one of the more obscure passages in the Old Testament. But I really believe it's going to speak to some people here today. So 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to catch up in the life of King David, whose his name means the beloved of the father. David means beloved of God. And just break down the word, be loved. Your job as a son as a daughter, is to be loved. That's why every epistle starts off, to the beloved and to my beloved Gaius, to my beloved. It's always speaking in this weird beloved language. It seems like very, you know, old school language. But you have to understand, our job as saints is to simply be loved. And so David, he finds himself now as king. He's now obviously replaced King Saul, who's been rejected by God and killed sadly in the battle of Geboa. He's now established his kingdom and 2 Samuel chapter 9, by this point, he's very much pushed back his enemies of Israel. And it's really like, you know, uh, 2 Samuel is really a book of all of his conquests. And we're about to pick up in a part of the story where he starts to remember one of his best friends, Jonathan. The first king of Israel was Saul. You guys remember him? Tall, handsome dude. Everyone thought, we need a king because all the other surrounding nations have kings. So God begrudgingly said, well, why don't you have me to be your king? And, and so he begrudgingly gave over. He said, fine, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you a person, but it's going to cause you trouble. And sure enough, it did. And as you know, Saul was handsome and he was full of charisma, but he lacked character. And God rejected him because of his disobedience. He couldn't follow simple rules and, and place, you know, what God wanted above what the people wanted. He was too pressured by the fear of man and he ended up compromising himself. And you guys know the story. He gets rejected. Yet, sadly, he has a son named Jonathan who is also with him in a battle where he's both, he and his son are both killed. Jonathan, however, happens to be really good friends with David. And, and by the way, the prophet Samuel came, you know, many years earlier and prophesied and anointed David to be the next king to replace King Saul. That's an awkward moment, by the way, because it's kind of one thing to be, you know, you know coronated king when there's nobody in your way. But imagine being anointed king, but not yet appointed king because somebody else is sitting in your office. Yeah. Well, how would you think that would make you feel if somebody said, here's your replacement and you're not done yet? So you can imagine David and Saul weren't exactly snapping selfies together at dinner parties, you know? Uh, Saul was a pretty jealous guy and he didn't like David, so he was known for hunting David for the better part of 13 years. So it's this awkward dynamic. It's this like, like triangle, triangular kind of love relationship here, a weird thing, where you've got Saul hunting David, but yet David's best friends with his son. His son recognizes the hand of God on David, 
And so you can, he goes, and so Jonathan basically says, I know you're going to be king. I know that God's with you. So he's going to elevate you. He's going to give you the throne. But here's what's where we're kind of picking up, okay? So King David is now king. Saul and Jonathan have been killed. So now David is rightfully king. He's able to assume power. And years into his reign as king, he, said, he, he utters these words. Now David said, is there still anyone left who is of the house of Saul, first king, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake, best friend, right? You guys following so far? Wave your hand if you're following me so far. I want to make sure I don't go past anyone here. You gotta, there's some historical context that you need. So is there anyone left in the household of Saul that I may show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? And now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So get this. There's an old guy named Ziba who once used to serve Saul in the palace, who's now got a new role serving David in his. Same palace, different kings. He's from the old guard, in other words, right? He's an OG, old guard. That's what I like to say, okay? Okay, and so here Ziba is called upon. So when they had called on, uh, on him, he, they were, he was brought to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. Then the king said, is there not anyone, someone of the house of Saul, to whom I may show the kindness of God? I like that switch up. The first time it was, can I show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, why would, you, why would he want to show kindness toward him, anyone left of the household of Saul, for Jonathan's sake? That's a question. And why does he then equate kindness and want to show the kindness of God? That's a great question. We'll get into that a little bit further. And so Ziba said to the king, well, indeed, there is one in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, and Lodabar. Everyone say Lodabar. That's the place where the bar be set low, okay? <laughs> then the king said, sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel. Oh, sorry. So, and Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Sorry. There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in both his feet. So the king said to him, well, where is he? And Ziba said, indeed, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then the king David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, that's Jonathan's son who's lame, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, in other words, is that you? And he answered, here is your servant. Notice that language, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear. Why would he be afraid? Let's just stop and pause. I could explain this later, but let's just do it now. You see, back in the day, not only was it customary for kings to want to establish a reign as king, push back any threat to their throne from other surrounding nations, but really they were looking at anyone and anything that posed a threat to their throne, and the most threatening thing to them would be someone of the old bloodline who was actually a rightful heir to the previous reign and, and king that existed. So you got to understand, Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne after Saul would be killed. Now, when the, both of them were killed, it would have went down to the next son. And that next son happened to be Mephibosheth, okay? So you can understand that Mephibosheth was terrified in his encounter with David because custom of that time basically was, it was held that at that time, any king who had took over rule and reign of a, of a, you know, of a king of a nation, yeah, that's right, thank you, um, they would kill anyone or anything that represented a threat, mean, meaning anyone of the old bloodline of the old king was killed. Babies, like, you know, kids, adults, doesn't matter. They were wiped off. The, they were eliminated anyone or anything that posed that threat. So you can understand when Mephibosheth is brought before King David, he's afraid. Hence why David says, do not, be, do not fear. The reason he's saying do not fear is because he's like, listen, man, I'm going to spare your life. I'm not here to kill you. I wasn't trying to hunt you down and find out your roads to eliminate any threat to my throne. Actually, I'm here on a very different purpose. 
as a matter of fact. And so you can imagine, though, this is why he's saying, listen, I don't need to be king. I will be your servant, he says, right? And David said, no, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for John and your father's sake, and will restore to you all the lands Saul, your grandfather, had once at one point, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Maybe you're understanding the language now. He's saying, oh, no, I'm a dead dog, man. Please, don't have anything to do with me. Please, just let me go. I'll disappear, man. I will not bother you. And he, so he's talking. Here is a king's kid talking like a dead dog. Here is a king's kid talking with such defeat in their language, talking and, and, and referencing themselves as a dead dog. Just please don't have anything to do with me. I'm a nobody. I don't worry about me. And the king called Ziba. He didn't even pay attention to this guy. He said, Saul's servant. He said to him, I've given your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all, to all his house. Verse 10, you therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and shall bring in the harvest and your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, he's going to eat bread at my table always, continually. He'll sit at my table. Got it? My table. The king's table. Okay. Now watch this. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. That's 35 for anyone who wants to do some math here today. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so your servant will do. As for Mephibosheth, the king said, here it is again. He's really emphasizing this. He shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Now watch this. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. In other words, Ziba of the old guard served him. And so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. But yet, and look at this, look how it ends. And yet, he was lame in both his feet. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, he was lame in both of his feet. Come on, would you bow your heads with me and pray? I just want to ask the Holy Spirit with the 20 minutes we have left just to speak to us. Father, I thank you so much for what it is that you're about to speak to us here today. I pray that, God, today you do only what you can do in moments like these. With the minutes that we have together, God, would you highlight the truth of your word and speak to people so personally and powerfully that, God, it would transform lives here today. Father, I thank you that you said, do not, you know, we, we, you were told us to renew our minds, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I pray that our, our minds would be washed here today. Not brainwashed, God, but minds washed with the word of, your, of truth here today. That, God, we would be cleansed by, and just encouraged by it. That it would warm hearts here today as it goes out in the hearing of so many in Jesus' name. And everybody said together. Amen and amen. See, like I said, in this scripture, there's some things I, I want to address. Because I think this Bible story, whether you see yourself in it or not, actually relates to you and I far more than we may like to admit. The truth of the matter is that this scripture actually ca captures uh, uh, you know, um, an experience that many of us have lived to experience. See, I don't know if you knew this, but in 1 Chronicles 8.34, 2 Samuel 4.4, 4, it's really interesting to me that Mephibosheth is how this kid with lame feet is introduced in this text. But if you didn't know this or not, let me just rewind a little bit. First Chronicles 8 says that Jonathan had a son, and his son was Meribel, not Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel 4.4 will actually emphasize this same truth. It'll say that Jonathan had a son, and his name was Meribel. Now, many of us in this text, for the rest of Scripture, we will know him he was only known as Maribel for those five short years that he lived before he became lame in his feet. And I find that interesting when you really look into it because I think that for many of us, we, we could relate to this. Here is a guy who's Maribel. Maribel means 
No, I know that you may know from Jezebel, like Baal means like Baal worship was like a form of idolatry. But Baal in that time at this point in history was just a name for God. Okay. And so Jews and Hebrews alike would have used the name Baal. It just, it was, it took on a whole new connotation when Jezebel came on the scene to, to express something different as a God, right? Now, Maribel simply means this, the Lord is my advocate. I think that many of us in our young years grow up five years old, like Mephibosheth or Maribel, five is grace, the number of grace. The fifth time Noah's name was mentioned in the Bible, five, if you like numerology, and Noah found grace in the eyes of God. The fifth time Ruth's name is mentioned in the Bible, and Ruth found grace in the eyes of Boaz. Five represents grace over and over and over again. Five years old, here's this kid living in the grace of God, where he knows his God as, as an advocate and not an adversary. Yet my, my question is, when did you start looking in, and seeing God as an adversary and not an advocate? It's interesting to me because the Bible says in John chapter 2, 1 John 2, it says, hey, my little children, do not worry if you sin because you have an intercessor. And that word, basically, word, it talks about Jesus being an intercessor is actually mercy seat. Jesus is our mercy seat. He's the one who actually will pray for us. And it's, it, it describes Jesus in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It says that when you sin, don't worry, Jesus is your advocate. I don't know if you knew this or not, but God is your advocate and not your adversary here today. But I think that something in life can change how we perceive and view God. Much like when Adam and Eve sinned, they saw God as their provider. God as the one who made all this possible, put them in a place called Eden, which means pleasure. And in the garden means hedged. He placed man and created man and woman to be hedged within the fullness of his pleasure. And yet it says when they sinned, their understanding of God was darkened. They saw that they were naked and they were afraid of God. Go figure, afraid of God, rich in mercy full of grace. How is it possible that people could be afraid of God, that want to distance themselves from an, an irresistibly loving God? How is that possible? I would say that sometimes sin causes us to, to think a little different because here's the thing, the traditions of, our, of men, the traditions of our times teach us, they groom us, they condition us to see God in a certain way because of how we treat one another. Much like David in that time, you see, Maribel quickly turned to Mephibosheth. Do you want to know what Mephibosheth means? It means son of shame. And you want to know what happened? When, you want to know when they kind of started calling him Mephibosheth? It was when his father, Jonathan, and Saul died at Gilboa. Word got back to Jerusalem. Do you know what Jerusalem means? It means city of peace. Here we are talking about peace here today. We are designed to live in God's peace. We serve the God who's described as the Prince of Peace. Hey, may, he, he says, hey, may you make all things through prayer and intercession and by petitions to God, and may the peace of God guide you. It's like an umpire in our lives. We are to, as the people of God, as the children of God, we, are, we have been, um, there's one thing that God died to give us, and that is peace. And here's Jerusalem, city of peace, but we find that when and word got back that Saul was killed and Jonathan were both killed. The next heir to the throne was quickly scooped up by a maidservant. 
panic came across the palace. Why did panic get exchanged for the peace in the city of peace? Because they knew that David would be coming to assume his place and to take power and to reign as king. And they thought because of the traditions of the time, because of the customs of men, they thought immediately, oh no, hide this kid, get him up quick before he finds his whereabouts. And so this made in, in just a, a moment of, of, uh, of, of absolute just like, like chaos and, and just fear grabs up, scoops up this kid, starts to run, but she trips and drops this five-year-old boy to where he lands in an unfavorable way and he finds himself paralyzed from the waist down. He is now lame in both his feet. He cannot walk. And so it says that they rush him off and they scoop him up. They're like, oh my gosh. And they rush him off regardless of the fact that he's injured. And they hide him in his hurt. They hide him in his pain. They hide him in this, in this fear in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar means a place of no word. Lodabar, if you look at the etymology of the word and you break it down in the Hebrew, it means no word, no pastor. And yet it's interesting to me that Psalm 23 references pastor and how we're to live. It says, you know, the Lord leadeth me by still waters. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. You know, in the, since we're in July, I, I, I love sitting cottage side, you know, lakeside. In the morning when the steam, like that, that mist is coming off the water, it's still like glass because the wind hasn't yet come up because the sun hasn't really, you know, caused warm air to rise. If you didn't know, that's why, that's why we get wind. And uh, you're welcome. I went to science class here. But, and so you, you're sitting beside the still water. You can see your reflection in it. And you're sitting in, in, I like to call like the green pastures, like God's country. You know, you're sitting in God's country. You're like up, it's like being in the mountains, you know. It's like, oh, man, it's good. Out in Ontario, it's like lakeside, you know. We're at a cottage. We're sitting on a dock. Just boom. It's just, you got a coffee in hand because that's godly Hebrews, right? This, this is what God, we serve a God that Hebrews, right? So Hebrews are great. Hey, thanks, Kobe. Thanks, Kobe. That was good moral friendship support. Um, here's my point. I think that when God makes us lie down, it's like a place of rest, right? When we lie down in green pastures, it's, it's a place of rest and restoration for our souls. If, you're, if there's no pasture, that means there's no rest. If there's no still waters, there's no calm. It's just anxiety and restless. So Lodabar is a place where many of you actually may not realize it, but many of you guys are actually living in Lodabar. It's because of an incident in your life. See, see, Maribel, the Lord is my advocate, became son of my shame when he was dropped, you see. And that's the nature of shame that I've discovered about the way shame operates in our lives, is that if the devil can defeat you, if he can't destroy you, he'll try to defeat you by he's called the, the accuser of the brethren. He wants to label you so he can limit your effectiveness as a believer. Sure, you might be saved and going to heaven, but you may live far beneath your potential, live your entire life in Lodabar. A king's kid. You're a king's, you're, you are an heir. You are, you know, a more than a conqueror in Christ. You are a royal priesthood, but living far beneath what God has for you. Why? Because there was an incident, you see. There was a mistake that had, had been made. There was an inability to walk right. And so because you're lame in your feet and you can't seem to walk this thing out just right, you've convinced yourself that you should run and be shunned. See, because shame wants to name you son of my shame. That's the first nature of shame. I want to just point out if you guys can throw that up. The first nature of shame is shame wants to name. Oh, you're unclean. 
You know, it's interesting to me when I read through the Bible how often people are, we don't know the names of people. The woman with the issue of blood, remember her? (laughs) What was her name? Nobody knows. Just knew her for all of time as the woman with some issues. Imagine that. And isn't that just like what the enemy wants you to think? That you're a ball of issues. That your identity is wrapped up in your issues. Remember the blind man? No one knew his name. Like there's so many people like this in scripture that we, the man at the pool of Bethesda, 38 years sitting there. What was his name? Nobody knows. Just the lame dude. Got sat by a pool for 38 years until Jesus turned up. You see, my point is sometimes if the enemy can convince you that you're not a child of God, an heir, that you're not the righteousness of God, that you are not the light of the world, that you are not, see, your identity matters because out of your identity, you live out of that. Anyone knows who's grown up in a family where they constantly reinforce the negative, how that affects children, social science, you know, it's, it's shown it all. That's why I I constantly look at my kids. I want to have a little girl that looks in the mirror like that video that, I'm amazing. You know that curly, you ever see that video? It's gone viral like a hundred times, you know? And it's just this girl who's just like telling herself who she is. I can do anything because I am strong. I am beautiful. Like that we need a bunch of people in the church who know who they are. But I'm convinced that the reason you don't know who you are is because you're living in Lodabar, the place of no word. No one told you. You were too young to understand it. So you were five years old, right? So you were, man, the Lord's my advocate. God is for me until something happened in your life. Now I'm a son of shame. And I came here to tell you here today that you are not a son of shame. That you are not a daughter of disappointment. As a matter of fact, God would do no such thing as label you in that way. God does not label us in that way. It is the enemy, the Bible tells us, who the enemy prays around like a roaring lion. First Peter 5, 8, it says, be vigilant and, and resist the devil. I mean, you know, have a shield of faith and understand that he prays around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Here's the truth for somebody here today. May you be listed among those whom he may not devour, because the Bible makes it clear. He's like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. He's like one. He impersonates the wrath of a lion. Who is the, the, the Lion of Judah? But our God, right? And did you know that Proverbs chapter 19, I believe it's verse two, I believe, it's off memory. You just look it up on Bible Gateway if you wanna do a word search, okay? You can correct me later. But it says that the wrath of the king is like that of a roaring lion. Ooh. So if you put these two verses together to use Bible to interpret Bible, what we discover is that the devil preys on believers and people by acting like a roaring lion, which we've now discovered through Proverbs, is like that of the wrath of the king is like that of the roaring lion. So he impersonates the wrath of God over your life. That's what the enemy does. He tries to accuse and persecute. That's his role. Hey, Satan, it means a prosecutor, okay? And so what we have to understand here today then is that the enemy will try to convince you that you're not worthy Remember the prodigal son? I'm no longer worthy, was his language to the father, of being called your son. The father didn't even listen to it. He says, put the robe of righteousness back on this kid. The, the, son, the, the, the sandals of sonship back on this kid. Give him the, the, the ring, my signet ring for authority, and let him sign off on things on my behalf. This is a, this is a king's kid. What are you talking about? You're not a servant. You're not, you're never, you're not worthy because you'd worked at it. We're a son or a daughter by birth, not worth. You're a king's kid. You're a king's kid. 
but I wonder if you're talking like a dead dog. I wonder if you're living far beneath your potential in low to bar where the bar be set low. Living a life in hiding where you're not letting your light shine on a hill, like in this, a city built on a hill, Jerusalem, the city of peace. I wonder if you've allowed shame like the enemy to name you, to roar the wrath of God and convince you that you're not worthy of being called a son or a daughter of God. The reality is, is exactly what happened to Mephibosheth who took on and inherited his name, son of shame. And so it says that he, the enemy successfully allowed shame to name him. He assumed the identity that was before him. Now he is a daughter of disappointment. Now he is a son of shame. And now, not only did shame name him, but shame has now shunned him. And it caused him to forfeit his inheritance as a believer, as a true king's kid, and run himself from Jerusalem down to Lodabar. And in Lodabar, like I said, this is a place of no word. I don't know if you've ever, like, you know, got a doctor's appointment, and you have this some kind of, there's something, there's an issue, and maybe you've got a lump, or maybe you've got a bump, maybe you've got some kind of, you know, stomach ache, or there's a chronic something or other, and you go to get the test. You know the worst part is when they go, ooh, it might be this, and they put something in your head, and then they make you wait for the results. That's Lodabar. It's the place of no word. And you know what happens? My, my mom, she got really sick this last year. And I remember as she waited for tests, she wouldn't sleep at night. I said, Mom, you're living in Lodabar. I want you to know I have word for you. I've come to bring word and defend your peace here today. I want you to know the word of God, that by his stripes we are healed, Mom. I want you to know something, that you can trust the word of God over any doctor's report. So you don't have to live in limbo there. You don't have to live in that place of no word. No, no, no. You've already received word well in advance, a, a prophetic word. If it's the word of God or if it's someone speaking, I came here today to defend your peace, that you would not live, leave the city of peace and run yourself down to Lodabar and stay in hiding because of your perception of who you believe God is. I came here to help you understand. He's an advocate, not an adversary. He's not against you. He's for you. And I want you to know something here today. That just like my mom, she lived in that place. Maybe you made, maybe you laid all your vulnerabilities on the table in a certain relationship. And it was met on the other side of the phone like it was like those TELUS commercials, you know? Everyone wants a good connection. Make sure, because right at that wrong point, it's like, I said I love you. Hello? You know? It's like, hello? And it's like, it cut, it call drop. You're like, oh my God, I take it back. And they're like, anyways. You know, that's like, that's like Lodabar for some dating people out there. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, I put it all out there and I'm not, I, I jumped and she didn't meet me, you know? The reality is, I think that when we're living in that space, something I really want to pick up on, it's a place of no word. It's a place where maybe no word, you don't even speak of the pain that was taking place. It's a place where it's never brought up. You try to bury that thing as far down as possible. No one would know what, who dropped you when you were five. What that caretaker did or what that authority figure said. It's a place of no word. Nothing comes in, nothing goes out. It's cut off. And the thing is, I believe that God wants to invade those spaces if you'd be so willing. I know it's going to scare you and you're going to be full of fear, but I feel like the word of the Lord so graciously would be sent someone who's been stationed. Did you know that Ziba's name, who served under Saul, his name means stationed. I believe there are believers all over this room who have been stationed in your life. You've been stationed in other people's lives. So when the king asks, is there anyone left that I could show kindness to? That's kind of like the church's mandate and mission that we go, I know of somebody's whereabouts. 
I know where they're living. They're living addicted. They're living full of anxiety. They're living full of sleepless nights because they're struggling. Maybe their marriage is on the rocks and they don't know if their partner is going to meet them halfway. They, there's all kinds of issues that we can find ourselves anxiety ridden, just riddled with restlessness, overturning, can't find that sleep, having our minds racing at night where you can feel the adrenaline like in your, your pulse and your fingertips. Anybody ever been there? Where you're literally rendered in, incapacitated. You just lie down in your bed and you just, I can't function. I need some kind of, how do I fight back? You need a word. I'll tell you what you need. You need a Zeba who can come and find you and care. Because you know that, that Mephibosheth couldn't even walk himself back to the palace. Someone needed to carry him. And maybe here today, you need to help carry some people back into the house of God. Maybe you need to help some people realize that the shame has named some people in your life. Maybe shame has named you. Maybe shame has shunned some people in your life where they are now far from God and far from the purposes of God and far from the plans of God across the life. Maybe that's even you here today and someone carried you along and you find yourself sitting beside a Ziba, someone who's been stationed in your life, positioned for a purpose to bring you back to the place where you could be restored in your peace here today. You know that God is not against you. God is not mad at you. He is mad about you. He's not going to kill you. He's only going to kill you with his kindness. Is there anyone left that I may show my kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Did you know that the reason that David said that is there anyone left that I may show my kindness to for Jonathan's sake was because in 1 Chronicles chapter 20, 1 Chronicles chapter 20, it says that when David was being hunted by King Saul out of his jealousy for the fact that he was going to be replaced by this kid. Jonathan, because he was friends with him, saw the hand of God on his life and said, listen, I'll look out for you. And so he was kind of a mole in the palace to suss out his angry father, Saul, on behalf of David. He would go and report back to David, hey, you've been invited to a dinner, but don't come. Your dad, my dad's going to kill you if you come. And so they had this relationship where Jonathan constantly looked out for him. One time, John, or David was forced out of the city. He was forced to hide from King Saul because he was on this maniac hunt where he was basically out to get him. And what happened was this. He basically found himself in the middle of this farmer's field. And Jonathan met him and said, listen, don't come back to the dinner tonight because my dad's going to kill you. And this is what basically they did. He said, but listen, I understand some things here today. I just want to find it here. Uh, I'm just going to read it to you here. Sorry. Oh, man, I don't have it here. doesn't matter. It says this. It says, basically, promise me, David, that when you come into reign as, as king, that you'll act favorably and kindly toward my family all the days of our lives. And he goes, and promise me that you'll, you'll meet us with an everlasting kind of kindness. And so David says, you know I will. I love you guys. And he goes, okay, fine. And so it says that they cut. He's like, but I promise you that I will do everything I can to keep you safe while my dad's in power. But you promise me that when you come into power, you won't kill us like they don't want to do. They always do. And so they cut their wrists, they bled, and they cut a covenant where they shook hands. And they would have like grabbed each other by like the arms, and where they would have boom, locked arms, and they would have bled on top of each other. I'm not sure how that would have went for like, you know, transmitted diseases and junk. But bottom line is, is this. And we got to wrap up here. Forgive me, guys. But in that moment, years earlier, David cut a covenant with Jonathan. And this covenant established that he would never act in the tradition of that time and the custom of men and go and kill all the people of their family. As a matter of fact, it established that when I come into power, I'm going to treat you as one of my own family. You can sit at my table as one of my own sons. And so Mephibosheth, too young to even know what happened, because his father was killed in action, basically found himself 
running out of the palace, dropped in lame as well. He spent the better half, the better part of his life in hiding from a king who actually would, would have treated him the whole time as a son. And so what happened was David is now years into his reign, reminiscing about his memories of Jonathan. And it's kind of how I picture it. He looks down at his wrists on the throne one day and he sees the scar in which he cut his wrist with. And he probably looked out over, the, over his, his palaces and thought, Man, I promised Jonathan, this is, the, this is when I covenanted, covenanted with Jonathan that I would act favorably toward the household of Saul. And so he goes openly, is there not anyone left that I may show the kindness of God to for Jonathan's sake? See, now it makes sense, doesn't it? It's because he cut a covenant with, with, with this kid, this guy, that he's going to act favorably. And so sure enough, he calls on Ziba, a, a, a servant of the old house, the old guard. And he goes, there, there's one guy. But listen, man, he, he makes, man, he's lame, man. He's on a thread. He's lame on both his feet. This guy's going to go, you're a man of war. What chance would he stand against you? See the, what's kind of happening here in between the lines? And he goes, no, no, no. Is there not someone I may show the kindness of God? Go get that kid. And so he gets him, but Mephibosheth falls down and prostrates himself because he's lame. He can't stand. He goes, listen, what do you, uh, what, what do you want with your servant? Uh, but you're a son. But I'm a servant now. I'm not prodigal son style. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And he goes, what do you want with such a dead dog? A king's kid talking like a dead dog, but ignorant to the fact that he's covenant covered. I wonder how many people that are king's kids in here didn't realize that you're covenant covered because shame has successfully named you, shunned you, and now shrunk you. It's caused you to live way beneath your potential. It convinced you that you're not worthy of coming home and, 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 uh, and, and living in the fullness of the palace of God's peace across your life. And so David doesn't hear any of it. He over, just doesn't even listen to what he had to say, but look what David says to him. He goes, listen, David said to him, do not fear. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. Did you hear that? For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the lands your, your father Saul had, your grandfather Saul owned. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. Do you know what the Lord's saying to somebody here? Is there anybody left that I may show the kindness of God to for Christ's sake? There's somebody here who's coming, but I'm not worthy. You don't get it. I, you don't know my condition. I got sin in my life. I can't live right. I'm lame. I can't walk this thing out. And God's going, not even having it. He doesn't even care about your speech that you've prepared. He's saying this to somebody here today. No, no, no. I do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Christ's, your Father's sake. I'm going to restore to you all that the enemy stole from you. Your peace will be restored. Your rest will be restored. Your joy will be restored. Your, your kindness will be restored. Faithfulness and gentleness, it will all be restored. Because here's the thing. I cut a covenant with my God. The Father cut a covenant with Jesus, the Son, 2,000 years ago. That promised Isaiah 54. It's the verse, it's the chapter following Isaiah 53. I know that's simple math here today. But Isaiah 53 outlines the crucifixion of Jesus. And Isaiah 54 shows the benefits and, the, and what will result in the fact that he died on our behalf. Isaiah 54 very clearly outlines that we are now 
that God will never be angry at us again on the other side of the cross because we have now been rescued. We have now been treated kindly and he will always, everlasting kindness shall never, the Bible says, depart from us. His everlasting kindness and peace will never depart from us because of what Jesus did on your behalf. Because you're a king's kid and now you're covenant covered, I want you to know that you're not accepted on account of what you did. You're accepted on account of what your father did in a covenant 2,000 years ago at the cross where God the Father cut a covenant not with imperfect man like he did in the Old Testament where we screwed up every road, uh, every every turn on that old covenant style and we got punished and cursed for it. But God now put his own son and human body and flesh. He says, and he cut a covenant between himself and himself to show that it cannot fail. This covenant, you are covered forever. And therefore, I want you to know that God will act favorably towards you forever, that his kindness will never depart from you again on account of this covenant. You, my friend, are not a disappointment. You, my friend, are not a son of shame. No, 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 no. I came here to defend your peace and to restore you back to the city of God here today, to the family of God, to make sure that somebody here knows that God, you're a king's kid, you're covenant covered. And check this out, check this out. And you still got a seat at the table. The Bible says that he restored him to the table. And look what he says. And so he said, I have given your master's son all that belonged to Saul into his house. You therefore and your sons go serve this man. See, you got a whole God is now working on your behalf. God is going to put people around you to serve you in Jesus' name because that's the nature of the kingdom of God where he, he comes alongside. It's not what you do for God. It's what God does for you. God is now doing something on your behalf. Then Ziba said to the king, according to the, the, my Lord, the king has commanded the servant, I'll do whatever you ask. Ask for Mephibosheth says, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. He shall eat at my table. And Mephibosheth had a young son named Machir, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. Verse 13, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. He ate continually at the king's table. See, the, the shame wants to name you, it wants to shun you, it wants to shrink you, and convince you that you don't belong here anymore. They, but I came here on behalf of, like David sitting in Ziba, and I came, for surely I will show you for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake, man. You belong here. You still got a seat at the table. Don't let anyone convince you and cause you to shrink back and think that you don't belong here. No, you belong here. You have a place here. You have a family, and this is a place where you can fit and throw down your roots and get, find some good soil for you to grow. For he continued at the king's table, and yet the Bible says he was lame in both of his feet. It's good news for somebody here today to realize that, man, I, I could still sit at the king's table and yet still not walk this thing out right? Yeah, you know what's beautiful about the table is when you sit at a table, it covers your legs. There's something about sitting at the table of the Lord, like communion, you know what I mean? Where you realize that some people take communion like I eat at the Lord's table. You know, they take communion thinking, if I eat it in an unworthy way, I'm gonna, God's going to kill me. The only way you eat communion unworthily, I just want you to know, is not because you have a sin in your life. That would be like... That, that is the dumbest interpretation of Scripture. Uh, that, that's, somebody needs to get saved, okay? Because what I want to just explain this real quick. But the whole point of communion is to show you that you're, you're saved by the grace of God. That by the shedding of the blood of, uh, of Jesus and the cross where he was just, man, disfigured on our behalf so we can find wholeness and healing. And so the point is not to get right so that you can get right. No, the, the point is to come to the cross to realize that the, the table of the Lord covers over your, your sinfulness. It covers over your, your inabilities. It covers over your failures. And make sure you have the ability to know that nothing can disqualify me from the wholeness and the healing that God promised me here today. Because uh, you could think that, man, I, I don't deserve this. That's right, you don't deserve it. But grace means carice. It means carice in the original language. It means undeserved kindness and goodness of God. So therefore, is there anyone left whom I may show my kindness to for Christ's sake here today? 
that I may restore all that the enemy has stolen from you. In Jesus' name, because there's some king's kids who need to understand their covenant covered and that they still have a seat at God's table here today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today, I took a little bit more time than I ought, so forgive me for that, but for this moment, maybe you're here today and you never realize that God loves you, that he's for you, that he's not mad at you, but he's so incredibly mad about you that you're his son and his daughter, that he would go to great lengths to find out your whereabouts and get you here today. And that's why I think it's so special that so many of you are in the house of God here today to hear this message because I came here to defend your peace. And I'm praying that as you walk out from this place, you would know that God loves you, he's for you, and that your peace may be restored, that you know the fullness of that peace and that would be your umpire today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and say, Caleb, that's me, I've never known Jesus in this way. I never realized that I was covenant covered. This changes the game. I still got to see the table. Maybe you're here today. You need to come home today and just simply raise your hand and say, okay, let's would you pray for me? I want to know Jesus here today. If that's you, would you be so bold as to raise your hand up and just let me the quick moment of praying with you? Anybody here today say, Caleb, that's me. Would you pray with me? I want to know Jesus here today. I want to get right with God. In Jesus' name. Why don't you all pray this with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming and dying in my place 2,000 years ago for taking all my failures, all my faults, upon yourself so that I might know the grace of God, the kindness of God, the undeserved goodness of God. Jesus, today, I believe in you. Would you come and be the Lord and Savior of my life from this day forward? Forgive me of all my sin and help me to live in the fullness of the life that you died to give me. In Jesus' name. And everybody said from the front to the back, amen and amen. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.